Welcome, everyone. My name is Rick Bonkowski, and this is the Amped Up to 11 podcast. He's a firefighter in Texas. He is a father of four. He is an author, and he is an America ninja warrior. Today, we have with us Gary Wyland. Gary, how are you? Yes, sir. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on here today. Well, it's good to see you, sir. Uh, I know you're below the knee amputee, and uh, you've got quite a resume, my friend. And I've been following you. And of course, I immediately want to jump into all the really amazing American Ninja Warrior stuff. But that's just a <laughs> teaser, because we have a lot of ground to cover before we get into all of that cool stuff that you've had going on just recently. I think I want to start with you becoming a firefighter. I've done some reading and some research on your journey. Can you explain to the audience what brought you to that calling? I mean, being a firefighter, it's truly a life of service. And I, I very much admire that calling when I see you know, people in service like that, in that in that selfless kind of space where, where they're willing to put their lives on the line for the rest of us, not just sure. not just once in a while, but on a daily basis. I'm very fascinated. So before we get into all that other really cool stuff, can you walk us through a little bit, give us some history and some detail about what brought you to being a fireman? Sure. Um, I actually, uh, grew up kind of a small guy, kind of a late bloomer. I didn't really, didn't really grow until after I got out of high school. So, um, I never really had that inner desire to be a firefighter when I grew up. Cause I kind of felt like it was never, maybe nece- not necessarily in my reach, you know, it was always these, these big guys and, and, and they just, it didn't seem like it was something that was for me. Uh, but after high school, I started to grow and and become uh, fairly athletic and uh, started working out a little bit more. Uh, started playing some different uh, sports after high school and uh, got to be pretty good at, at, at different things. And so uh, through my uh, throughout my 20s, I actually uh, got to the point where I was trying out for some minor league uh, baseball teams. I actually did an NFL combine, uh, got to the point where I could dunk a basketball and I'm only 5'10", but uh, <laughs> I really hit my athleticism uh, after high school. So um, that's also when I found my wife and we had four kids. And so it was it was definitely a busy time. Um, but um, so you, know, you found athletics, it sounds like you 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 yeah. discovered athletics, you found that you were a physical guy that you could excel um, physically, that this, this was something that you were capable of. And, and maybe that brought you some joy in that space. Exactly. That's exactly what it was. I always had a desire to, to play high school sports and things. My brother is five years older than me. He got all the height and size. Uh, and so I was always trying to compete against him. And he he would always beat me, and uh, you know until after high school, and I grew and things, and so I I think I got a little bit of an edge on him now, uh, but yeah, I always had that desire, and I kind of came into my my own there, and 
So I was kind of looking, I was searching, and I felt like there was something in the athletic world. Um, you know, I was given certain gifts uh, and abilities, and I, and I was just searching for, for why I was given these types of physical abilities and different things. So I uh, started working for some, uh, some retail establishments, and, uh, you know, by the time I got to my 30s, um, my kids were, were growing, and, and they were at the age where kind of what, what dad does influences them and so uh, they actually my son came into the, the retail uh, establishment that I was working at and said I want to work here when I grow up someday and so you know that really kind of hit me I was like man am I really using the gifts and abilities that I've been given um, you know for my kids am I really giving them a good example and and there's nothing wrong with working in those places no, uh, but I just felt like it wasn't for me, why, I, you know, my, my real purpose. Uh, and so that's when I kind of did some soul searching and said, okay, what, you know, I'm, I'm halfway smart guy. I keep myself physically fit. You know, what can I do um, to, to support my family? But I also had a, an inner desire to, to serve my community, to serve others. I enjoyed helping people. Uh, so that's, you know, that's why I started actually just searching, like, how can I do both of those things? And so, uh, you know, I looked in the military and it, it didn't seem like the perfect fit for me. Uh, I looked into uh, police department, you know, that wasn't really my forte. And, and then and then I found the fire service and I thought, you know, what, what actually do these guys do? I mean, obviously they fight fire, but, but what else do they do? And I started doing some research uh, and found out that. Um, obviously they, they fight fire. So there's a certain uh, mindset you have to have in order to do that, but you know, they're physically fit. They have to, they go on car wrecks and we, you know, we have to carry heavy equipment. Uh, they have to be able to pull, you know, people out of buildings, climb up and down ladders, cut holes in roofs, chainsaws. And, and so, uh, and then the other side of that here in Texas is you also have to be an ENT. And so you have to know the body systems. You have to go to school. You have to learn uh, whenever someone calls 911 and you're riding the ambulance that day, you have to be able to fix uh, what is going on. If they're sick, hurt, injured, um, you know, strokes, heart attacks, all those types of things. And it's like, wow, firefighters actually do a lot, but I didn't know that they did, uh, you know, at least down here in Texas. I know each department's a little bit different, but I think that's, that's a good point, though. And so, no, I, I, not to stop you there, but I think that's a good point because if firefighting comparatively to a lot of, you know, those types of careers, it's a broad spectrum of skills that you, that you all have yes, to get trained on and continually be trained on. And I don't really quite think that most folks know the depth of knowledge uh, that a firefighter has. I know a few firemen personally, and I know that it's uh, it's it's requires a lot of discipline, a lot of education, and yeah. it's something that if you're called to it, you have to prepare yourself for it being a an in depth study. Let's put it that way. And and it's a lifelong journey of learning and growing. You never stop with continuing education, uh, never, you know, because we want to be 
you know, on top of the best research and the best techniques and the best skills and the best knowledge of how to fix whatever situation we, we get called to. And so it's absolutely, it, we will never stop learning. No, that's wonderful. And when did you actually become a firefighter? So wh when, when were you on active duty? When did all that start? Uh, 2011. 2011. Okay. And what were the chain of events? Cause I, I, Again, I've done some reading. I know you had a knee surgery or a series yep. of knee surgeries. Can you help me understand how that surgery led to an amputation? You know, um, I had a, a knee surgery in 2016. So I've been on the job for about five years. And uh, over the next couple of years from that, unfortunately, it's one of those rare complications that you know, you hope never happens, um, but those things, they do happen. Uh, and then it, it took uh, two years from there for, for everything to just kind of culminate. And uh, it was actually Thanksgiving morning in 2018 where, um, you know, I just lost blood flow to my foot and uh, the doctors could not repair that uh, blood flow. And so, you know, you hope that that situation never comes up uh but it did and it happened quickly and i found so myself so your time. symptom was uh was described for me your symptom was cramping it was i'm in pain i can't feel my foot i mean what were the symptoms that you were experiencing that gave you that like uh-oh kind of moment yeah so it's all about blood flow right it's uh it's kind of like if you fall asleep on your arm or your hand and you know when you wake up and it's kind of that numb feeling where it's real tingly and, and it's painful uh, that that's what it was and so uh, unfortunately it, it it was the worst of it you know the, mm -hmm. the blood just did not did not want to flow anymore so um, you know I don't I don't talk about all that very much because it you know at the end of the day um, we all have um, our issues, our problems and things that happen to us. And, uh, you know, it's, whether it's an arm or a leg or both or all four, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. And so, um, I like to focus on what comes after that, you know, physically, mentally, um, because it's, that's what's, that's, what's important. You know, it's what we're doing, what we're doing now. Right. No, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. So, so much of, an amputee's journey, you know, myself included, it's really not about hyper-focusing on that moment uh, where things took a hard right turn, let's say. It, it, it's yeah. really about a day of acceptance and moving forward and then becoming our best selves as a result. So it's, it's like turning a negative piece of energy and churning it into a positive piece of energy. Because when I look at your story in particular, you know, g given this sort of path, this momentum that your life was on, and this thing happens, okay, and let's face it, like like you're like you're saying, and I agree with you, it's just a thing, it happened, and yeah. you immediately pivot very quickly. And when I say quickly, and I'm looking at my notes here, you were back on the job. In how many months? 
Oh, it was uh, 10 months and six days, but, you know, who's counting, right? <laughs> well, not that I'm keeping score, sir, yeah. but it did take me about two years to get to a normal. And what I yeah. consider to be normal, like, hey, I'm I'm ready to work. I'm ready to play. I'm ready to do the things that I want to do. This prosthetic feels right. All that other stuff. So where where I marvel at at someone like yourself, and I, I I've talked about this before, is that sense of urgency, that urgency of I, I got to get back to the things that I do. I have to get back to my life. I have to get back to work. This this is who I am. This thing, and we'll just keep calling it a thing. It does not define me. What defines me is this path moving forward. And you were very quickly to return uh, to your job. And I, yeah. I, I believe you also went through a number of new trainings to kind of get you sort of reset and, and ready for all the things that you do when you're fighting fires. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know... It's all about perspective, right? Um, you know, I did get back to the job full duty, no restrictions fairly quickly uh, in the big, big scheme of things. Um, I will say that it did not come without a lot of <laughs> hard work, a lot yeah. of blood, sweat and tears. I will be honest about that. It was not easy. And, and I will say that I was back at 10 months, but uh, you know, I wasn't, uh, you know, what I would say in the, in the same place that I am now. Um, I, I, I did it. I worked through it and there were still, I still had problems. I guarantee you that I still had blisters. I still had, uh, a lot of things that I was just dealing with, but I, I had to get back to work. And, uh, and just like you're saying, uh, you know, it took about two years to get real comfortable. Honestly, that's, that's almost exactly my time frame too. So it did take about two years for me to really, really settle in to where I am now. So granted, I did get back to work at 10 months, but just like, just like anything else, you know, we always, we're always in a little bit of pain. We're always, you know, kind of working through some stuff, but I will say that right at the two year mark is where things really started to kind of, kind of click for me, even though I was doing a lot of training and, and other things uh, before that, um, it didn't go without some pain and some struggle um, at, at the same time. But um, I will say that uh, a big part of that is, you know, my, my purpose, my why. It was my kids. And, and you say that I, I turned the corner pretty quick as far as saying, okay, um, I'm accepting this and moving, moving forward with it. Um, and I 100% attribute that uh, to my kids. And, um, you know, uh, before this, obviously things were going great. I play a lot of basketball and I could, I could really, I could have some fun and uh, softball. I just, real, you know, real sports oriented and my kids, we, we play all the time, uh, mostly basketball. And so when this hit me, um, you know, I'm lying in my hospital bed and I'm thinking, what just happened? What, what is happening? Uh, how do I, how do I get back to work? How do I support my family? How, how do I be a firefighter on, le on one leg that, you know, it's, 
I don't know if I can, if that's possible, uh, you know, and, and all these crazy thoughts, obviously going through my mind, just like every single person uh, that, yeah. that experiences something like this is what is life going to be like now? Um, I really felt like I was <laughs> Superman to my kids, you know, and, and, and for them to, I, I still obviously, you know, still can see them looking down at me. All four of my kids were in the hospital room and they're looking at me with this, this pathetic look on their face. Like I'm the most pathetic thing they've ever seen in their life. Uh, and they've never looked at me like that before. Poor dad, it, right? It, Poor dad. Oh my gosh. It, it crushed me. Yeah. And so I basically decided right then and there, um, and I feel like it could have gone either way. And I feel like there's unfortunately a lot of a lot of people that kind of go the other way. Uh, yeah. I could have just been like, "You're right. I'm 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 out. I'm done. I'm giving up. I quit. There's you know I'm just going to be in a wheelchair forever and just not. That's it." Or you know, for me personally, it was okay. These kids will never look at me like that again. And I'm going to commit today to make the best out of this situation. And I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to be the very first firefighter amputee in the world. And 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 I just decided basically that day that I'm like, this is it. I'm going to do it. And I don't know how, but I'm going to make it happen. Well, you know, I think what you're talking about, and I've, I've, I've heard this so often because I talk to so many different amputees and we we keep revisiting this idea of day one. What is day one? Yeah. Day one is, it's not the day you found out that you were going to be an amputee. It's not the day of the surgery. It's that day when you accept that limbs do not grow back. And now <laughs> it's time to start yeah. doing the work. And you, Absolutely. sir, are describing in such a great, beautiful way, looking in, into the eyes of your children and saying, this is, this is it right here. This is my moment to make a decision. And from this day forward, they're never going to see me this way again. I am going to grab this and get control, get my arms around it. And it's, it, it's not going to define me. It's simply just going to be another part of my story, another part of my path. It will be the thing that makes me a hero to my children and the many people around me. And that is really what these kind, kind of conversations are all about, is, is, is finding that common ground of greatness and letting that resonate. So that is, it's just such an amazing story. And when you describe that that scene, you know, with your children, mm -hmm. I, I think a lot of us have been in that situation, looking into yeah, the eyes absolutely. of family and friends and seeing their pain or or in some cases their pity. And yeah, that absolutely. that that's a tricky one, you know, psychologically, especially as a father, you know. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And you know. You would not believe how many <laughs> you would not believe how many people uh came to visit me and called me and a message and all kinds of stuff uh and they are just they're distraught 
Like they, they are physically distraught. Like they are crying. They are sick. They are, it's like they went through Mm -hmm. the amputation because they, they know what kind of person that I was before. They know how much my legs and arms mean to me physically and, and my family. And so you would not believe how many people that I had to console. <laughs> Isn't that funny? How, in the no, you're so right. Cause the tables turn, right? Suddenly, suddenly we're helping them through this. I, I recall yeah. many conversations with my mother. I mean, many conversations with her crying and yeah. saying, how, you know, how are you going to, how, how, and, <laughs> and me saying, Mom, I, I I don't know. Hello, what do you mean? Like I don't know. How like, I'm oh, going. I don't know what I would do. How are you going to deal with this? And they're just, you know, I find myself putting my arm around them. I'm laying in the bed, and I'm just like, right. it'll be okay. It'll be okay. Right. You right. Know? And it's a and don't get me wrong, it's a bonding moment, and yeah. we certainly laugh about it now. But yeah. in in those in those very very delicate fragile times, it, it tests us. Not not you got you've got the whole physical piece of this. You know the loss of a limb, the pain we go through. But then there's the emotional part, where we're slowly, just like rebuilding our lives with the loss of a limb, we're slowly rebuilding those emotional pieces of our life to get strength back, and. I think as amputees, many of us, I'm sure yourself included, we we carry around that responsibility, that weight that we feel of we want to do well. I mean, obviously, you're a very, very high-functioning amputee. Some of the physical things that you are capable of are remarkable. I mean, extraordinary to me. And it, it And again, this doesn't come without hard work blood, sweat, and tears, and a, a, a lot of training, a lot of focus, and a lot of energy and commitment. Uh, yeah. I, I, I want to talk a little bit about how you address those issues specifically. And what I mean by that is when you are training and when you are, and I'm, you know, there, there, there are probably the, the light duty kinds of activities that you do but when you're doing focus training for something like American Ninja Warrior, yeah, what what practices do you feel work for? Now, of course, everyone it doesn't work for everyone. I want to put that out yeah. there first because there is no one size fits all for all amputees. No, but I want a little bit of a, a peek and insight into how you manage that. How do you manage your limb? How do you recover after you've put yourself through some of those major physical tests? Like what, what are your practices? What does a day in the life for Gary look like? Yeah. So, you know, you touched on a little bit about mental side of this thing. For me, I know it seems like I'm doing all these physical things, which, you know, I am, but you know, this recovery is is 90% mental, right? Like, um, I, I still get blisters. I still, I pound this thing. I, I, I put it through. Um, uh, I test it every day, you know, but um, I can say that mentally it, it is, that is where the, the really tough part is. Uh, but as far as what I do the day in the life, you know, it, 
I would say that it kind of goes back to, you know, the, the grieving process, you know, you, it starts with uh, denial, right? You know, what, no, there's no way this is not happening. And then you get angry and then, you know, you try to bargain, you know, what if I'd done this or that, or this happened or that, uh, you know, and, and then you, uh, um, you go through some depression, you know, that's that mental side that you're like, you know, you finally are starting to get close to that acceptance, you know, and you get like, what's my life going to be like? And, but I will say that, that, you know, I went through all those different stages, but once, once it hit me that, that acceptance stage where I said, okay, this is it. This is my life. Okay. There, there's nothing that can, that's going to change that. And once I accepted that and said, okay, I'm just going to keep it moving. I'm just going to move forward with it. And I, you know, I don't say that I, um, you know, people say it's just, it's just a bump in the road. And for me, I let them know that it's not a bump in the road. It It is the road. Okay. So we, we all have, hills and valleys and bumps and not, but it's, it's not just, uh, oh, it's a part of it. It, it literally is your road. And so once you can say, you know, this is my road, not, oh man, this is going to be a tough part. It's not a tough part. It's just a part, you know, it, it, it's, it's not easy, but you can get there mentally. And, and that's where I'm at. So, so when I have my tough days, when I, when I'm training and, and a lot of that training, what I do, um, I'm still, I'm still learning. I, I'm, I, <laughs> it may seem like I'm doing all these awesome things and, uh, but I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm still trying to figure this thing out because, um, right now I still, you know, my right leg and my upper body, they compensate for, for my, my left leg where it's, it's so skinny now. There's, there's hardly any muscle left. It's just bone and it's still changing. And, uh, you know, I, I compensate a lot for it. Um, but, um, I do have to train with it obviously and on it. And I have to think differently when I'm doing all these different uh, activities. So, uh, when I do beat it up and, and it's, it gets, it's obviously it sweats like crazy. Um, so the biggest thing I would say is you have to absolutely maintain it at least every hour when you're doing something physical, maybe more, you know, depending on, on your personal situation, but, like every hour I'm, I pull it off whenever I'm doing something real physical, I dry it off. I give it, try to give it at least five minutes to breathe, um, clean my liner and then put it back on. And it's a process and I don't enjoy it. You know, it's nerve wracking. It's annoying. You know, I still think, ah, why do I have to do this? But, um, but it's part of my road. It's part of my journey. And so um, I've learned very quickly that if I don't take care of it, um, then I'm, then I'm down for a few days because those blisters, those friction, yeah. you know, all those types of things start happening. Uh, and then, and then I really pay the price for it. So as annoying as it is to, to maintain this thing on an hourly basis, that's, that's what I do. Uh, I think that's a good point. So, I think, I really think that is important to note because I always feel the same in terms of the more physical I am on any given day, the more babysitting I'm going to do of my residual limb. And that could be yeah. changing a liner sock, that could be drying off, that can be adjusting, uh, you know, the fit, uh, you know, adding uh, a ply sock, wh wh whatever that in entails. So I think it's important for, for amputees to recognize 
that if you want to get to an active space, if you want to pursue those things, plan on doing a very deep dive on self-care. Plan on doing a deep dive on what is my limb doing? How is my limb feeling? How often am I inspecting my residual limb? And knowing what to do when you see certain things happen, whether that's skin breakdown, now it's time to take a break. I need to take a day off. I need to take half a day off, whatever that is. But I think it humanizes so much of what we see in people like you. And I appreciate you being transparent in that way because no one is a superhero. I mean, we all, we all love the Marvel universe. However, we are not superhuman. We are, we are human beings and things are going to break down when we push ourselves just like any other athlete. So anyone that you see uh, in the Olympics, anyone you see competing at a high level, they are managing a ton of self-care. It is a constant. It's a constant. So when I first became an amputee, I was fascinated with people that could run in a prosthesis. I was fascinated by it. And I thought, I'm in all this pain. How does someone put this limb into a, a, a socket and run on it? And the thing that I was noticing very often when I would research it online was very often these runners would stand on the sideline and they would not be wearing a prosthesis. They'd be sort of hopping around on one leg. And I thought yeah. it was I thought it was peculiar. I thought, and and keep in mind, I'm I'm a brand new amputee. I'm just I'm just trying to learn. I'm 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 trying to absorb all this information. And I I dug a little further and then I got across some articles that said, well, this is their recovery time. This is the moment yeah. that they're letting their limb breathe. They are allowing themselves to find a balance between when their limb is under a tremendous amount of pressure inside of a socket and when wow. it needs to be released from that cage. And it's an important part of being able to perform at a high level. Because obviously not knowing anything, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, why don't they just walk around in it? Like, why aren't they just keeping it on? You know, keeping it comfortable and a good fit. Yeah, because you know, the more you walk, you know, the little it, it becomes a little bit better fit, feels more comfortable. Um, but you know, you also know that once you become an amputee, there's a fluid shift in your body that happens all day, every day, and and that's that's the time where you need to shift that that fluid back in there a little bit, take that leg off, um, and, and get that oxygen in there and, and get some fluid back. In there because once you put that leg back on it wants to kind of shift out of it and, and so yeah absolutely it, it just that self-care uh, that awareness uh it's it's huge um, if you want to be really physically active on it yeah the human body is amazing and i think once you become an amputee at least for myself and what you're describing you become so in tune with yourself when you talk about fluid shift and yeah. depending on my day because there are certainly days just like today where I'm just sitting and my residual yeah. limb will act a certain way when I'm just sitting. And yep. then I, and then I get on my bike and I, you know, I ride 25 miles or whatever. And my residual limb does something completely different on that day. And I yep. need to be prepared for that. And I need to understand what that self-care is about. So when I see a lot of chatter online 
about how difficult this is, how annoying this is, <laughs> my response yeah. is always, this is a lifetime contract. This is how it is. This isn't going to change. This is what we're yeah. in. This is what we're in for. And like it or not, either prepare for it or don't. And there's going to be consequences either way. <laughs> big time, big time. And I, I, I appreciate you walking me through that because so often we will see someone like yourself and think, well, wow, he makes it look easy. Oh my gosh. Man, oh my gosh. I, it may look like that, but or they oof. make the mistake of thinking, I wish I had his prosthetist. Oh I wish gosh. I had his leg. I wish I had his prosthesis. And that I oh. think is such a critical error in this yes. particular mental space that we're in to know I am an individual. My limb is my limb, has nothing to do with anything or anyone else. And I have to discover myself on this very, very microscopic level and figure out how I can bring my best self to this experience. Wouldn't you agree with that? Oh, 100%. 100%. Um, the, <laughs> I've had guys uh, tell me, oh, like um, able body, you know, non-amputee saying, man, you're so lucky. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> what are you talking about oh my gosh like oh it blows my mind you're it like the mind. word luck never people... entered the word luck never entered my mind sir <laughs> yeah yeah like i would trade like uh, give me my leg back and you can have you know everything else you know what i mean so well, gary i another just another yeah, you know I was... say oh man you're, you're, you're this age, you're, you're, or you're this size or you're this or that. And, you know, and I've talked to him like, look, it's not about me. It's really not. It's about, it's about you and, and what you decide to do. You know, we're all different. Trust me. I have plenty of issues with my leg of my limb. Uh, yeah. so I don't always share them all the time. I do post some things on social media just to kind of keep it real, you know, cause I do, for you sure, know, I think that's important to to, sh to shed some light on some of the issues that I do go through. Um, but I, I'd like to keep it mostly positive. Uh, it's just kind of kind of who I am. But I do like to keep it real. That's for sure. Well, I pre I appreciate that. And uh, with that, we are going to just take a quick pause, and we are going to do a segment uh, that we do on every episode, which is called "Amps You Should Know." To talk about Denise Dickerson today. Denise is a fellow amputee. I consider her a friend. We've spoken quite a bit uh, about being an amputee. She's someone that I met through a company called Martin Bionics, and she is a patient advocate. Uh, Denise is also an ambassador for the Oklahoma Blood Institute. Denise has a pretty incredible story as to how she became an amputee while traveling in Oklahoma. I believe she was coming home from work on a winter night. She actually stopped her vehicle to help a family in need. I guess it had ditched their car. And once she had helped them out 
in their particular situation, she happened to be struck by another vehicle that lost control in the weather conditions. So while doing a good deed, Denise found herself in a very precarious situation and ended up losing uh, part of her leg and is now below the knee amputee. I find Denise's story interesting and obviously something that I think is, is of important note that she's living her best life and she is one of those very active amputees. So I'm very inspired by her. And she is one of those people that if you were to meet her, she always has a kind word. She always has a piece of advice that I find very, very useful. And she is usually one of the first people, especially on social media, that will reach out to others that have questions. So Denise Dickerson is definitely an amp you should know. Okay, we're back. We're with Gary Weiland today. And uh, I want to get into what, what led you to becoming an author. I know there's a lot of other things we need to cover in the next half hour. But can you explain to me how that materialized in your life in terms of becoming an author, but also deciding that you wanted this endeavor to have something to do with with, uh, children's books, which is, uh, again, an incredibly special calling. Can you explain that? Uh, Sure. You know, uh, it all started right about the time I got back to work. I was back on the rig, full duty. Uh, uh, Some people started reaching out to me and said they were a little bit inspired, like, what, how did you, how are you an amputee and you're a firefighter? Like, please come to uh, my business and talk to my guys because I, I feel like that's an, you have an, a message, how you did it. Um, so whenever we have tough times uh, in our business, maybe maybe we can think about what happened to you and how you were able to to adapt and overcome, you know, this, this great obstacle. And so we have problems here. Maybe you can help help uh, us with, with that. And I was like, sure. And so I kind of walked them through the process and what I did physically and mentally and tough days and good days and how to kind of uh, overcome those, those obstacles and, and then another business. And then some teachers got a hold of me and they're like, can you come speak to my class? And so got to the point where I was um, really uh, becoming a little bit of a speaker uh, and, and just kind of sharing my journey and my story of, of where I was and what I went through and how I was able um, to to kind of get get through that. And, and uh, you know, I kind of fell in love with that process. I fell in love with people, um, you know, coming up to me afterward and saying, holy cow, I've got this going on in my life. And I, I know that since you've been able to get through this, I know I can get through that. And, yeah. and, you know, my heart kind of went to, to, uh, kids and, and I really enjoy getting in the classrooms. And, and so I have this, this message of hope and, and, and perseverance and resilience that I, that I feel like has been given to me. And, and I, I for whatever reason, I feel like I need to to pay that forward and, and give that message to to as many people as I can. And so I was getting into more and more classrooms, uh, but I got to the point where I thought, man, this is, for whatever reason, uh, this is a, 
a, a pretty good message, I feel like. So how can I get this out to the masses? How can I really, you know, so so I started uh, a YouTube channel and, and different things that way. And so it was it was getting out a little bit, but I thought, man, how can I really, you know, I want every kid to to know that no matter what happens to them in life, physically or mentally, they can absolutely get through it and do whatever they set their mind to. And and so it just kind of hit me one day that maybe if I wrote a children's book, you know, where I could just get it out there and get it into classrooms so that. Um, if I can't get into them physically, uh, then maybe this book can get into the school or the library and, and maybe then it can be shared that way. And so I just uh, kind of just started with that. And uh, and then uh, my you could ask my wife, but she, uh, you know, she started, saw something in me that she'd never seen before. And I, you know, it just kind of hit me that I've never been a writer, you know, per se before. And so I. For me to get up at 4 a.m., 5 a.m. Uh, every day and just start writing was uh, was something new and something that. But I was I was motivated, you know. I had I, I just felt like this message I just needed to get out and, and share. And so I started writing and and I didn't stop. And I and I just um, started with with the story, like okay, what. You know, what's the best, you know, I felt like I had this little bit of a platform being a firefighter, you know, where um, and an amputee and, and I just I felt like I need to go that route. So, uh, you know, believe it or not, that that first book was uh, about a firefighter uh, who gets injured on and the your job. Book, and, and just so uh, we uh, clarify for the audience, the the first book, which is a series going to be a series, correct, is called yes, Fisher's sir. Accident, correct? Yeah, Fisher's accident. Okay, and this is going to be a series of books for children, and of course, like you mentioned, the first book is about a firefighter who yes, uh, who becomes an amputee. Yeah, yeah, he does, and uh, you know, with the help of his friends, he's able to to learn to walk on it and run again, run on it, and and then become become a firefighter again, even though he's an amputee and and. Uh, you know, it is a children's book, you know, I'm, you know, up to like, you know, up to second or third grade is kind of where, where my mind was on it. Um, but since it's been published, I will say that fifth grade teachers use it and sixth grade teachers and he, I'm actually going to a high school next week and talking awesome. about it because, because it may be written for little kids, but there's a message there that, um, these teachers can bring into their classroom uh, about never giving up, you know, about resilience, about keep moving forward. And, and if they can tie this book and this story to a real person, you know, that can really kind of bring it home. And so it, it really doesn't matter what age, it really kind of, you know, works for everyone. And so, yeah, that's, that's the first book. And then, and then I just kept writing. I just, I just couldn't stop. And so I wrote, wrote the next book and it's actually um gonna be gonna be published in the next couple of weeks and so congratulations thanks yeah it's uh you know it's called fisher finds a friend and and i don't mind sharing about it, it it's it's exciting and and uh he fisher's at work and he's working a car accident and he he looks over and he's in front of the local animal shelter and there's a little puppy in there and so she looks, she looks sad. And so he, he goes in to see why she's so sad and she stands up 
And guess what? She's missing a leg. And so she's a three-legged dog and no one wants to take her home. And so Fisher, you know, sees something that they can, he can relate to and he, he adopts her and takes her home and, and uh, soon realizes that she can do anything a four-legged dog can do only, only a little bit faster. And so now, now he's got a little friend uh, that he's adopted and, and then I just kept going. So books, uh, books three, four, and five are, are, are on the heels of these two books and they are, they go on adventures together. They go camping and they go to the circus and they go, I mean, they, they learn about fire safety and they learn about uh, how to act during an emergency and they learn, and they learn about the just basic fundamentals of life, but in a way that, you know, is fun and exciting. And my purpose in these books is, is I've got so many, so many things uh, in these books. It's amazing because um First of all, it's it's an awareness thing. Uh -huh. So you know, when kids see me for the first time at the grocery store or the ball game, you know, there's this shock factor, right? They're like, oh yeah, you know, their mouth is open. They're just like, oh my gosh, there's a a guy with a robot leg, you know. And it's it's just this shocking and and uh, you know, and for me, it's not a big deal because my purpose, uh, I like to share. I like to tell people kind of my story and how we can overcome obstacles and challenges. But right. not every amputee is like that. I get that, mm -hmm. um, and so it can be a little, a little nerve wracking for for other amputees. So I'm trying to take that shock factor away, so if kids can read a book about an amputee where they're shocked because you would not believe when I'm reading this book to kids in classes, they're all like. You know, they are shocked, uh, you know, so if I can take that shock factor away that way, when they see a real amputee, uh, then they can they can look at them and say, oh, that that person's like Fisher and they can just kind of keep it moving. They don't that shock factor is gone. And that's so that's one of the purposes in, the, in these books. And another purpose is to show that the main character can look a little bit different than than other main characters in books and, and movies and stuff where okay, uh, he's an amputee. And I never really addressed that in these books. It's, it's not about that. It's about living a, a normal, fun, adventurous life. And you might look a little bit different. And so that's part of it too. And so I'm trying to kind of, uh, you know, our differences are, are is what makes us human, right? So I'm trying to normalize our differences in some way. And so uh, maybe maybe these big purposes are, are bigger than what is what other people see, but that's, that's my vision. That's my hope. Um, you know, and I was really hoping that when I started writing these books that, that I would be able to get into classrooms and share them and share my story. And it's, it's happening and it's exciting. And I'm just, I'm grateful for the opportunities uh, that have been given to me. And, uh, and I'm excited to see, to see where it goes. With everything that you've been through and, all of the endeavors that you're involved in, this to me seems to be just such a blessing in your life that you can share all of this in terms of, like you're mentioning, the normalization of limb loss or limb difference, but also inspiring how to overcome obstacles, which is something that obviously young minds very much need and appreciate. And, yep. you know, nowadays, when it comes to amputees, let's face it, we are 
finally starting to see amputees in major marketing campaigns. We are starting to see amputees in spaces, in places, in entertainment, in things that, let's say, as soon as 15, 20 years ago, it was sort of hidden away. And I think what the public is realizing now with stories like yourself, the Paralympics, uh, you know, I was blown away by by some of the ad campaigns that Toyota did with amputees. Really, really just genius level stuff um, that amputees are powerful people, that we, we are something that should be raised up, not hidden away. Um, you know, one of the things I found fascinating when I was talking to a prosthetist was that he had still has a few amputees that want their prosthesis to look like human anatomy. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. So what is that like? And he said, well, they want it to look like a real leg. They want it to have skin color. In some cases, Mm -hmm. they want it to, to have hair on it. Yeah, you know, like yeah. like it's a real limb, and yeah. I thought that's so peculiar to me. Why would they want to do? He said, "Well, you have to remember, there's still a lot of stigma associated with being an amputee, that it is somehow viewed as a deficiency, a less than kind of equation." So, so much of our purpose here today in in bringing you in is raising raising you up and saying this is this is how it should be this is what we're capable of and this is something to be inspired by but also it's just a part of everyday life okay yeah this is just an everyday person living his everyday life and these are the blessings that he's sharing with with the world on his journey and I'm I'm so excited to to see where the books go and what that journey for you is going to be like. It's 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 exciting stuff. Um, I want to I want to also talk about, of course, American Ninja Warrior for for people in our audience who don't know what American Ninja Warrior is. I I've actually watched it. I I think since it's it's been on the air. It's it's been on the air for yeah. a long. How long do you know how long it's been on the air? Yeah, this is the fourteenth uh, year. Fourteenth year. I was going to say it's been at least a decade. For yeah. for those of you who don't know about it, American Ninja Warrior is is a competition. It's a a obstacle course format in terms of competition, and this is not a like a wacky, like knock you down kind of obstacle course, you know, let, 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 you know, let's, let's have fun. Not not that you're not having fun. However, this is a serious test of physical capacity. I mean, the, the obstacles that you scale and jump and move through, I mean, this is, this is challenging stuff. This is not for, for amateurs. (laughs) Let me put it that way. I mean, oh, yes. it's it's pretty amazing. And can you can you describe how that materialized? Like, what what happened that led you to American Ninja Warrior? 
Sure. Uh, I will say I've been watching it since it first started as well. And I always wanted to be on it because, uh, you know, I thought, oh, that looks easy. I could totally do that. And, uh, you know, I've I've tried out before. You send in a video application and showing off, you know, your physicality and all the things that you can do. And uh, I was never picked to uh, to be on the was this before you were an amputee? And, uh, before I was an amputee. So yeah. you were actually mm-hmm. trying to get on this show for for a decent amount of time. Yeah, yeah, for the last uh, six years, I think. And so, <sighs> okay, it's never worked out. Okay. Uh, so then, so then I lost my leg, and then uh, and then right after I got back on duty, uh, that's where I started kind of saying, okay. You would think that that would be enough, right? Like I accomplished that. All right, that I gotta task, set. I gotta set goal. that one aside. Right, I'm good, but but I didn't. I that just motivated me to do even more. You know, I started wow. trying out for Paralympic stuff, and then one night I was literally scrolling through Facebook, and there was a guy who, you know, just an able body guy in his 40s. That you know, you know kind of like me and was like, Hey, uh, I'm heading out to the ninja competition. We you know, wish me well. And I was like, ninja competition. What, what is this? And, and, uh, but he wasn't a little amputee. bit of research, but he wasn't an amputee, huh? right? He wasn't an amputee. No, no, okay. not an amputee. And, uh, so, but you know, I'm a little bit competitive and I like to challenge myself. And so I looked into it and they have these, uh, ninja leagues, it's all based on American Ninja Warrior, and they had different obstacles and challenges and all this. And so um, there was a competition three hours away the next day. And so I told my wife, hey, I'm going to Austin tomorrow morning to compete in this ninja competition. Just, just like that. <laughs> just like that. Wow. And uh, she's like, that's awesome. Okay. And so that started it. And so I went down there and I did well. And, uh, and so yeah, I found this Ninja League and there's different levels and I've traveled uh, around Texas uh, competing. Um, and then uh, you you build up to area competition and I did that and I uh, qualified for the next level, which was the regionals. Mm-hmm. And so I went and competed there and I did, did well and I qualified for the finals uh, in Vegas last year for wow. this, this uh, Ninja League. And uh, yeah, I went out to Vegas. I took my son and it was his birthday. He turned 15. So he was pretty excited. Uh, and then right before I right before I was going out there, this other production company actually found me and they are shooting a documentary um, called Becoming the Ultimate Ninja. Yeah, I, I've, and, I've read a little bit about that. This is, um, this basically centers around the, uh, obviously the show correct yep but yep. really gets into the stories of people right. like yourself and i and i would think given your situation let's call it that that would be a huge human interest piece as far as following you a bit there yeah yeah there's uh there's some potential there right yeah. Um, so they asked if they could if they could film and do some different things with me out in Vegas uh, during the finals, mm-hmm. and so of course I was like, absolutely. However, I can help get this message out to people of of, of you know adapting and overcoming. Uh, and so so yeah, we spent a few days in Vegas, and they 
they shot us and filmed us uh, down on the strip, me and my son, and and uh, competing and different things that go into it, and uh, it was awesome. Uh, and then and then the, so that's going to be uh, actually on Prime Video. Uh, it's going to be airing pretty soon, uh, and so that was exciting. And then so that documentary you know, then, is coming out this summer, is what you're saying? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it should be. So we got to make sure that we. Uh, we tune in on that. Uh, and that's called the ultimate ninja, correct? Uh, becoming the ultimate ninja. Becoming the ultimate ninja is going to be, uh, is going to be out, uh, this summer on, on prime, correct? Yep. Okay. I just want to make yep. sure we get that right. Cause I'm sure a lot of listeners are going to want to catch that. Um, yeah. so as far, as far as the, the American Ninja warrior show, uh-huh. To me, it seems like all of those different levels of competitions um, before you actually get to, you know, to the actual show, let's say, because, you know, certainly I don't know how all this works. A lot of all of those sort of preliminary competitions, is that kind of preparing you for like the big show kind of thing? Yeah. Absolutely. The, the, this documentary is separate from the show, totally two different entities. Okay. Um, but, but yeah, everything that we do leads up to, to the show because they want, they want some athletes. They want to know people are committed or working hard and, and it's a competition, you know, there's a million dollars on the line for the winner. Right. Oh man. And so wow. well, they obviously are, it's a competition, but they all, it's a TV show too, you know? And so they want, it to to have some good stories and different things and so so uh yeah they 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 i think there was about seventy thousand applications or so and oh uh you know i think about 400 made it through so i was one of them i was super super stoked and excited uh just to be chosen to compete you know and and then uh, anything past that is just icing on the cake right oh for sure so for sure I found because myself doing a lot of training uh more so than than ever you know because i had an opportunity here and i don't don't want to waste it right no i would imagine and so much of that too now you're getting not only the physical test which you become a very adept to you know pushing your body but also in those situations i i believe there's very much a mental component to competing on that level because absolutely anyone that's been in any sports we practice we rehearse per se we we get ready but then there comes that moment of okay i got to do this and yeah. that's that's not easy uh some 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 athletes that i know will say the mental process can be more challenging than the physical process I mean, what what did Absolutely. you what did you find your for yourself in that space? What what would you go through in those competitions? So, so uh, you know, the first time I started to compete, um, it was physically tough. I will say that was the hardest part, physical, because it, you use muscles and joints and ligaments and tendons that you've never used before doing other sports. And so, I will say that. You know, watching it on TV, oh man, that I could totally do that. And then you, I get out there for the first time, and I'm like, "Holy cow, this is hard." <laughs> well, by, by the way, uh, I just want to say something, Gary. By by the way, when I watch American Ninja Warrior, I don't think I've ever said to myself, "Oh, I can do that." 
Oh, okay. In fact, I, <laughs> yeah. I think I thought the opposite. <laughs> yeah. I can't do that. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. well, keep you going. Know, <laughs> um, I have a little different mindset, I guess. Uh, I guess so. But, but anyway, know, go, go ahead. So, yeah. Uh, you know, and it, it was hard physically. Um, but I soon realized that, yeah, it is difficult um, physically to swing around like uh, a monkey on bars and different things. But uh, there is a this mental aspect is, is way bigger. You know, it, telling you telling myself that I can or telling myself that I can't. Right. Uh, is, is usually the outcome. You know, if I if I tell myself, man, there's no way I can make that. And and, and guess what? I don't make it. But if I can change that mindset as I train and do different things, I can say, okay, I, I can do that. And then if I can, can have that confidence, um, then it, it makes it a lot easier. And, and more times than not, I, I will be able to, um, accomplish that obstacle. A lot of times there, it's called a lache where you're on a bar and you have to get momentum and swing eight to 10 feet and catch another bar. And, mm. um, and that, that was hard, for me to to wrap my head around that as an amputee because if i miss you know how am i going to land and so that mentally it takes a pretty big toll because i don't first of all i have to go to work tomorrow right so i can't i can't be getting hurt reality steps in you know yeah it really does and and i've had more about twice as many birthdays than these other guys that are competing. And so that kind of weighs on you. And so you have to overcome that mindset. Right. And so, uh, you know, once you, once I tell myself, okay, I can, I can make this and, if, and uh, it helps to, for the little successes, the smaller goals that lead up to the big goal. Like before I hit that 10 foot lache, you know, I hit a four foot lache. Okay. This is what it feels like when I land. And then, and then I would actually practice missing so that I know what it felt like when I hit the ground, you know? And so, okay, this is how I have to land in case I do miss. Sure. And then I'd go four feet, five feet, and I keep extending that out, um, building up to it physically, but also mentally, because you fly through the air, uh, there, there's a different type of mentality, you know, going through your head. I think these younger kids, 15, 16, 18 year olds, you know, they think a little bit differently than a 40 year old, you know? And so, um, we're a little bit more fragile, right? Oh, uh, they, sure. they, they're still on top of the world, but, uh, yeah, the mental part of it absolutely is 90% of anything we do. It's a, it's such an inspiration to hear you talk about it in such a human way in realizing that so, so much of your journey is going to feel very similar to many of us in that we all have our struggles and we all have our our plateaus we're trying to reach and and just trying to, for some of us, just getting through the day as an amputee is an accomplishment. So yeah. looking at looking at it in that way, that we all are tested on some level um, is important. Uh, just circling back real quick uh, to the book, uh, just for our audience, wh where can we get the book? How, how do we go about doing that? Uh, right now it's on Amazon. It is on Amazon. It's on Amazon, yep. Just okay. Fisher's accident pops right up. Um, if you don't want to order off Amazon, uh, you can go to my website, just GaryWyland.com. Uh, you can email me personally. My email's on there. I'm happy to ship you, you know, a book. Um, no problem with that. I have a few extra on hand here. I always keep some because uh, kind of never know when kind of 
you know, when I'm doing an event and somebody's like, Hey, do you have a book? I'm, and so, uh, I usually try and push them towards Amazon. Uh, but, but I'm absolutely able to, to give them a book. Uh, it's kind of, uh, interesting, kind of weird. And cause uh, a lot of times they're like, will you sign it? You know? And so I'm like, I never, never would have dreamed that I would be. That uh, you were a rock star? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, sir. No, sir. No rock star. No, I'm just. I'm just, I'm just keeping it moving. Okay. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us. I want to thank Gary again for coming here. This is the Amped Up to 11 podcast. I'm your host, Rick Bonkowski, and I want to wish all of our listeners health and happiness. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks.